Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, what's up? It's time for episode 93 of Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. And joining the show, he's a very special guest. He is the New York Giants beat writer for the New York Daily News and also the host of Talking Ball right here on the Believe Network. It's Pat Leonard. Pat, thanks so much for joining the show. You got it, Joe. What's going on? I'm stoked to have you, man. Obviously, you know, you know from when we were talking before you started with us here at Believe that I'm a huge Giants fan, and uh, yeah. we've been trying to coordinate this for a couple of weeks, so I can't wait, man. Big playoff game coming up. Yeah, not used to it around here, you know? <laughs> it's uh, it's exciting to have them in the playoffs, in a meaningful game, especially in a year. I mean, they've all been tough years, but you know this, like coming into the season, even if you saw the regular season schedule as softer or easier than in seasons past, I don't think there were many people around the league or frankly, even in the Giants building who thought that they were going to make the playoffs. So credit to all of them and exciting that they're going to Minnesota. Yeah, you know, I looked at that schedule and obviously we had the AFC South on it, right? So I'm looking at that going, all right, Jacksonville's on it, Houston's on it. And I didn't think Jacksonville admittedly would be as good as they ended up being. But I'm thinking we can go nine and eight. That probably won't make the playoffs, but I'm thinking we, we can go nine and eight. Hey, here we are, man. Here we are. What, nine, seven and one and we're in? It's uh. It's incredible. It's been a lot of fun. You know, speaking of fun, I mentioned your show Talking Ball, and I want to give the show some credit when we uh, when we start off here. I really enjoyed that episode a couple weeks ago with Julian Love. So what was that like just being able to, outside of, you know, your locker room, the press conferences and whatever, just being able to sit down with Julian and talk about his growth, his progress, and ultimately his importance to a defense that's been really injured this year, but he's been a, a really consistent piece of it. Yeah, no, thanks for saying that. And as you know, part of lining up a podcast guest, it's not just asking somebody to say yes. It's also identifying, let's say, a player in the locker room like Julian, who you think is going to be honest and open and transparent. Yeah. And, you know, as much as he is good at talking and being honest, he was even better when I got to sit down with him and ask him really anything across the table. I mean, we talked about his contract situation and he made no bones about it that he thinks he's worth a certain amount and that even though he wants to be in New York, it's a business, you know, kind of, lay, kind of laying the table or the groundwork for something that will be newsworthy coming into the offseason here. He also was not shy about saying, I've embraced the captaincy. I've embraced the green dot on the helmet when Xavier McKinney went down. At the same time, he admitted that it was a lot of responsibility not only making the plays on the field and being their leading tackler by a wide margin, but taking on that play calling as well. It's not just as simple as relaying words to your teammates. It's getting everybody lined up. It's talking to them right before or even after the snap. And so I thought that a giant who has so much on his shoulders, taking the time not only to do that with me, but also to break down kind of the inside nature of what makes him tick, and then what makes the play, the team tick. I think it was reflective of what they've become as a team, the types of personalities and players that they are rewarding. And it's not a coincidence that they are where they are when players like Julian are stepping up and taking these roles. Do you notice that the guys this year compared to just, you know, the Joe Judge years, the Pat Shermer years, do you notice that the guys are, are just more proud to be Giants again? I mean, this has always been an organization where players are proud to be Giants. And are you getting that vibe again in the Dayball era? Yeah, and I think I'll say this. I think the main reason, and I know that this is oversimplifying it, but I think it's true. The main reason is they're winning games. Yeah. Like, I, you know, 
credit to Dable, credit to Martindale and Kafka and everybody, Joe Shane, for sure. But if they won more games under Joe Judge, you would have heard the same stuff. And I think, you know, I actually like Judge, thought that he was a good CEO. They just didn't have an offensive solution, and it ended up costing everybody their jobs, frankly. And so I think the biggest change this year is that Dable and Kafka together had an offensive plan and acumen that the Giants hadn't seen around here in a while. And so getting the wins early the way that they did, being aggressive in Tennessee and feeling confident in the offense they are running really now has the team um, feeling excited every week and believing, frankly, that they can win. You know, they're, they're not they're not riding this, hey, we're on house money here because no one thought we would be here. Like they legitimately believe we belong here. We're a good team. And the only way you get there, Joe, is by winning. Wait, so you mean that Jason Garrett calling a run, run, and then a third and long deep pass, that that wasn't offensive acumen? Is that what you're saying to me right now? <laughs> Joe, I'm so glad you brought that up because there was a, an amazing instance in New Orleans. So this is a game they actually, their offense did better mm-hmm. and they won in overtime where they ran um, one of those jet sweeps to Evan Ingram. And when they lined up in the formation, I called out from the press box, they're running that play to Engram again, aren't they? And we were all laughing after they ran it because we're saying, if I can see it, imagine what the defensive coordinators on the other side and the players can see. Right. So not only were they so simplistic, but even the times they tried to use gadgets, it was so predictable. I could see it from 300 feet above their heads. You're talking about the game. This was last year. This was uh, the Giants' first win of the season a year ago, right? <laughs> Right. It was actually a game where they pulled some rabbits out of a hat. They started using Kadarius in a catch and run mode, which was definitely a a push from Joe Judge. So, yeah, it was even a game where their offense looked better. And there was still stuff where I'm looking, shaking my head. Yeah. And and if you're seeing that from the skybox, I mean, you've got Dennis Allen, who, you know, as as bad as he looked as a head coach this year at times, one of the better defensive minds in the game. I'm sure he saw that one coming as well. It's uh, it's been a big difference. So you mentioned Dable, Kafka, the offensive acumen. Kafka's getting some requests to uh, interview for head coaching vacancies after his one year as Giants OC. Do you think he's back next year? I do think he's back, though I'll couch it with this, Joe. When he was uh, hired by the Giants, and even before the Giants hired him, when it was clear that he was likely leaving Kansas City, Mm -hmm. you heard from people who know in the league that this guy is going to go somewhere, he's going to call plays for a year, and he's going to be a head coach next season. So, That was before he got hired by the Giants. This is the track that people felt Mike Kafka was on. So it's not surprising to me that he's getting these overtures from the Texans, the Panthers, these teams. I look at Mike, though, and I see how he has handled the media this year, really buttoned up. But um, I guess I would say I hear Wink Martindale at a podium, and he profiles to me as a guy who's leading a team. Mike Kafka, in fairness, he's still young. He seems like a guy who's still growing into that CEO part of it. Now, you know, Mike McDaniel, Matt LaFleur, all these younger guys getting jobs where there's questions about those things too, and it works out. So Kafka certainly could be the next one. Um, So I guess my answer would be, I'm kind of hedging on you a little bit. (laughs) My one answer is the people in the people around the league think that he could track to a job. But what I see in some other conversations I have, I think it's probably one more year. That's my opinion. I would hope. I would hope. I mean, just the growth that we've seen this year has been great. Now, 
you know, I obviously I follow your page closely, even prior to working with you, I believe, because I'm such a diehard Giants fan. And you were making me nervous in the preseason because it seemed like every day during, you know, training camp, during workouts, I'd go to your page and Daniel Jones looked horrible over the summer for a good chunk of it. Now, a report just came out last week that Brian Dayball, Mike Kafka, and the coaching staff, that they were purposely scripting plays to make Jones look bad, to see how he handled adversity, to see, you know, how he could overcome that. Is there validity to that report? What What are your thoughts on how that all panned out? Yeah, that's that was Tyler Dunn, I think, might have written, mm-hmm. wrote that. So, I mean, Tyler's great. Um, I every anything he writes, I I'm not gonna dispute it as not fully vetted and well done work. I mean, he's great. Everybody should subscribe to his uh, page. By the way, I think it's go long. He's great. I would say though, I'm skeptical of. I'm sure that, that might have happened once or twice here and there. But I also know, and I heard back in training camp, that the defense was dominating the offense so badly that Dable told Wink and the defense to kind of dial it down a little bit. Oh. So I've heard that. I don't think I really ever said that before publicly, but I hear that and I say, well, wait a second. So were they managing it both ways? Were they telling the defense the plays to make the offense look bad and then cautioning the defense to back off a little bit so the offense got its confidence back up? That sounds like a lot of overmanaging to me. Um, you know, I, I think there's a good chance I would I would envision there's a good chance that with a certain play here or there or a certain series or maybe for one day, he tried to test things out a little bit with that kind of structure. But training camp's not that long, and you're not looking to beat your players down. Right. I guess my point is if that was something he was doing, I don't understand and I don't agree with it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it does seem a little counterproductive, especially as a first-year head coach when you're trying to get to know your weapons and, and you know, see the best that they have to offer. Not exactly, like you said, beat these guys down and shatter, I'm sure, what uh, what, what was not much self-confidence to begin with coming into year four after past regimes. Exactly. Hey, Pat, we're going to talk Giants-Vikings, the rematch, the highly anticipated game. In fact, we're going to talk all six playoff games from a betting angle. But before we get into the Giants-Vikings game, injuries really quickly you know I mentioned Julian Love and how he's stepped up and been a constant in that secondary how are things looking for a Dory Jackson well McKinney said and may have slipped and said that a Dory Jackson's going to play against the Vikings a Dory said he doesn't know he still has to test things out from what I've seen at practice he's done very little but of course we leave and then practice happens he's been <laughs> he's been limited both days of, of practice to start the week and um, I would say that Adori has acted in the last week, week and a half as if he might not play. I think he'll be out there, but I would caution Giants fans with this. First of all, as we know, even though he's their number one corner, he's not a true number one corner compared to some other teams out there. Right. Justin Jefferson is still going to get his. And also, how much could Adori Jackson do if he hasn't played in game action and you just throw him back in there? It would, it would probably even be more situational. Um, the injury that popped up to me, uh, later in the week that I'm looking at uh, just as closely now was Evan Neal with an ankle limited at Thursday's practice. And the reason that, uh, that interests me is because he struggled against the Vikings in the first half on Christmas Eve before he played better in the second. And also he played in the finale in Philadelphia when most of the starters rested while Tyree Phillips, the immediate backup tackle got every rep at left tackle. 
I watched that Philadelphia game thinking, I wonder if they're giving Phillips an audition for maybe a bigger role in the playoffs if Neil struggles early. And now that Neil has hurt an ankle in practice, I'm not saying they're benching Neil and starting Phillips. I'm just saying, I don't think it would be crazy if, especially if he's hobbled, that you see Neil take a step back during this game if he struggles and Phillips kind of try to pick up the load in the pass protection. Would be interesting. And then, you know, not to disrespect the Vikings, but, you know, it's not like you're going up against the 49ers defense. If there's a defense that Phillips might be able to slide in against and have some success, Minnesota statistically this year, one of the one of the worst defenses in the NFL. So, you know, you mentioned Neil and how he performed in that first matchup. It was a crazy game. It was a crazy game. It was a fluky finish. I don't want to say it was lucky because it was a hell of a kick, but it was fluky. And that game, Pat, just reminds me, this this whole scenario reminds me a bit of 2007, how the Giants played New England last week of the season, week 17, played a hard-fought game, lost by three. And it was just, you got the feeling, and I even said this to my father at the time, what, 15 years ago, I said, if they play again, the Giants are going to beat them. And I said the same thing after the Minnesota game. I, I said, God, give it, give us the Vikings as the three seed and the three six, because I think we're going to beat them. I mean, just wa watching that game play out on Christmas Eve the way it did, how encouraging was it for you that the Giants have an advantage for a rematch? No, I agree with you. I thought the same thing watching the game. I thought the same thing in 07, too. I, I really, I, I know exactly what you mean. It just had yeah. that feel of, oh, they, they know, we know, right? It's one of those. And I think the Vikings' lack of a secondary, uh, Harrison Smith's a great player at safety, but Patrick Peterson isn't what he once was, and the Vikings game to me was most encouraging from a giant standpoint because it was the first time this season really that Dable and Kafka stopped with the gadgets in the past game. And they said, you know what, we're just going to drop back and throw it on you and you're not going to be able to stop it. And I thought that was great to see for Daniel Jones's sake and also for the offense's sake. Now, of course, the key again is the pass rush because Hunter and Darius Smith are very good players. So can they get there? Mm -hmm. But from the standpoint of, Yes, the Vikings are probably going to get theirs. Jefferson's tough. Hawkinson's tough. Cook is tough. But do you trust, if you're Minnesota's fans, Kirk Cousins, not to make that one big mistake? Right. Or to make miss that one throw. And let's just face it. I, I don't know how you feel about this. It's not scientific. I'm a pretty big believer over the course of my career covering sports and watching sports in the law of averages. And I look at the Vikings winning all these games that they don't deserve to win. And I think even they would agree behind closed doors. Yeah, we got lucky there. We got lucky there. Some, at some point, it's got to regress. It's got to revert. It's got to be, we didn't get the break. And yes, the Giants have gotten some too. But I just think that the Vikings have been extremely fortunate and numbers back that up, that they are the luckiest team in football this year. And I would close with this. Not that Kevin O'Connell's a bad coach. I'm not saying that, but. I think that Dable, and he's not perfect either, but I think Dable and the Giants have done a good enough job coaching this year that the only teams they really lost to are teams with coaching staffs with similar experience or guys that you really, you're not going to fool. And, and I look at, you know, you look at Jeff Saturday facing Dable and the Giants. What happens? A complete demolition. Right. right? And I, so I think that when the Giants face lesser coaching staffs, they beat them. And I do think I trust the Giants staff over Minnesota's. And Saturday and the Colts, I mean, they were up 33-0 on this Minnesota team. The Giants, they, they didn't let them right. sniff the end zone. So, uh, yeah, right. I'm with you there. Look, let, let's get into it. I close every show with the Sorallo pick six. 
Just so happens this week, there are only six games to pick. So we're going to do all of them. I want to go chronologically, but we're already diving into this. Let's stick with the Giants-Vikings, right? You mentioned the Vikings getting a lot of breaks. They lead the NFL. They have five wins by exactly three points this year. They finished 13-4 and four with a minus three-point differential. The Giants have a minus six-point differential. So you're looking at two, essentially, 500 teams when, it, when it's all said and done, going at each other. Minnesota with those five wins falling on the number three. The Giants love the underdog role. 10-2 and two against the spread as dogs. Pat, for this one, I'm going to ask you, not just against the spread, but also straight-up winner. How do you see this one unfolding? Yeah, no, I think the Giants win the game. Um, I, I love getting points, at, you know, because I already want to pick the Giants straight up. And think of it this way, too, Joe. Like, think of even if you see both of these teams as fairly even, both similarly lucky. You quoted some great stats there about how both of them seem like teams that shouldn't have the records they do. So if you say they're even, Graham Gano, the Giants kicker, he's not going to win any awards this year, but he was up there, top two, top three kickers. He's automatic. Yeah, And here he is kicking in a dome in a game where you're giving me points if I'm already taking the Giants straight up in a close game where the Giants kicker is just through the uprights. I don't even have to think about it. It's really just going to come down to Daniel Jones protects the ball, doesn't turn the ball over, and Graham Gano hits his, hits his kicks, and the defense doesn't give up 80-yard touchdowns. It's a Giants win. Yeah, and look, Kirk Cousins, he's just one of those guys who, when he's the only show on TV, you know, I, I say prime time, but it doesn't have to necessarily be prime time. It could be when they're in London. It could be when they're playing on a Saturday against the Colts. When Kirk Cousins is the only show on TV, he makes mistakes. He loves being yes. buried in, you know, nine other games in that one o'clock Eastern window. But when he's not, he makes mistakes. I, I think the Giants are going to uh, definitely exploit those. Let, let's go chronologically now. Niners, Seahawks. It's hard. You know, we were talking about law of averages and rematches. It's really hard to go 2-0 against a team, let alone 3-0. San Fran's looking to do so. Do they cover a 9.5-point number in this one? I don't think the Niners cover the spread, but I do think they win the game. I'm not worried about them making the plays to win with their pass rush. Seattle also, it's easy to forget sometimes because they've had such a promising year, even though they've struggled a little down the stretch, but they are an incredibly young team. Like as young as the Giants are, the Seahawks are younger with how many rookies and young guys they are playing in key spots and who have played well. That's part of the reason why for me, it's hard to see me. It's hard for me to see the Seahawks going on the road and sticking for four quarters and beating this Niners team, which really is one of the top two teams, I think, for me, as far as Super Bowl contenders go, if not three. Uh, but I do think Geno Smith, Kenneth Walker and those wide receivers it's hard for me to cover a spread to, to pick the Niners to cover nine and a half when the Seahawks haven't exactly struggled to score throughout the year. And even if they're trailing big, I trust them to get those points and, and maybe backdoor cover, even if it comes to that. I'm with you. I was just going to say the backdoor in this game scares me probably more than any other game on the slate. It, it's something where I think the Niners winning should be a lock. You know, I mean, Pete Carroll, his own Shanahan, eight and four straight up against Shanahan since 2017. But I just, this year, you look at the the talent on those rosters, even with Brock Purdy in at quarterback. I mean, the guy, hell, he's undefeated. But, you know, McCaffrey out there, Ayuk's been hot. George Kittle, I mean, George Kittle's been better with Purdy than he was with Trey Lance or Jimmy G ever. It's, uh, they're a juggernaut right now. To me, they're the best team in the NFC. Uh, the way the Eagles kind of backed into the playoffs, I don't really trust them. 
Uh, this this Niners team is scary. I'm with you, though. I'll take the points because of a backdoor cover. Saturday night, Chargers-Jags. The five seed, the road team, the LA Chargers, two-point favorites in this one. This is a toss-up to me. Both teams finished the year hot as hell. Jacksonville won five in a row. Chargers won four out of five, just losing that last game because they benched their starters in the second half. How do you see this one unfolding? Blows me away that the Chargers are a favorite right now. I know they won some games down the stretch, but they're on the road against a team that can score. And I know the Jaguars defense is going to give some things up too, but first of all, I do not trust Brandon Staley's defense. I know they've played a little bit better recently, but I don't trust it. I think Trevor Lawrence, this line, I know that they barely beat Josh Dobbs' Titans, but Lawrence missed a couple layup throws that he usually doesn't miss in that game. Otherwise, that that game wouldn't have been as close as it was. And I look at the Chargers and I say, you played Mike Williams and got him hurt, and now he's questionable with a back injury for this key game. You play him in the meaningless game in Week 18. I think this sets the Chargers up for disaster. And not only am I taking the Jaguars to cover and win, but at least league sources I've talked to, there are some people who believe that if Staley loses this game, he will be fired. And if that happens, they could fire both Telesco, the GM, and Brandon Staley. And if that happens, Joe, I'm just telling you, everyone that I know and trust in the league who would know thinks that Sean Payton, that this would be his job. I was I was just going to say that when you mentioned Staley. I mean, look, I, I think Brandon Staley is frankly a joke of a head coach. I'm, I'm sorry to sound so harsh, but I just don't think he knows what he's doing. I mean, we saw the, the clock management last year. For him to not take that team a year ago to the playoffs was a disgrace, even in year one as head coach. Um, it's tough for me because as much as I hate Staley and think Peterson is just an extraordinary head coach, I'm going to go with the quarterback in this one. I'm going to go with wow. the Chargers. I think it's closer than it should be. You look at the talent and you look at these rosters on paper, Chargers should blow him out. But I'm, I just I got to go with Justin Herbert because of those throws you mentioned that Trevor Lawrence missed that were right mm. in front of him. They should have blown the doors off Tennessee. And they didn't. So I'm going to say the Chargers, they've been really good on the road this year. I'm going to say they get it done. I believe 7-2 and two against the spread on the road this year. Uh, let's move into Sunday's slate. So we've already done the Giants-Vikings, Bills-Dolphins. We all know Buffalo's going to win this game. Can they cover that number of 13? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, it makes me uncomfortable. I, you know, this is one when I'm talking to people and giving them betting advice, I'd say, I'm not telling you to bet it, <laughs> right? Right. But here's what I think, right? Because this is one of those where... Uh, you know, Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, the the Dolphins have enough guys who take the tops off defenses that, again, backdoor cover could be a concern. Right. A catch and a catch and run where Skylar Thompson barely has to even make a throw, you know, like that kind of thing could happen. But no, I think I think Buffalo continues to ride the wave of momentum, uh, coming off the Demar Hamlin scare and then that. An unbelievable moment and win against the New England Patriots there with Naeem Himes dominating and special teams and then a kick return. So I think Buffalo rolls. I think they cover. Uh, makes me a little uncomfortable how high the number got, but I would I would still take Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, geez, I, I wish I could have grabbed it earlier in the week when the number was, what, seven and a half it opened up at? Uh, yeah. But I'm with you. You know, uh, that number can be scary. But you look at last year, right? Buffalo's uh, wild card weekend match against the divisional rival. Last year it was New England. Pats had beaten them once in the regular season, just like Miami did. And people are saying, oh, their defense, they'll hang around. They'll stay in it. Buffalo beat them 47 to 17. I mean, at the end of the day, this team, they've underperformed at times this year. 
but they've won seven in a row to close the year out. They're going up against Skylar Thompson at quarterback. The DeMar Hamlin situation, I, I hate to, to use uh, a horrible situation like this, but football is the most emotional game of any sport out there. And something like that happens to your team. I, I do believe that it will actually benefit the Bills in this game, especially now that Hamlin's doing well, now that he's FaceTiming his guys. It wouldn't shock me if Hamlin's at the game. I mean, if he's able to, God willing, it wouldn't shock me if he's there. I think Buffalo is going to blow the doors off Miami. So I'm with you. I'll, I'll, I'll lay that 13 with Buffalo. Yeah, Sunday night. special if he goes. Yeah. It would be. That would be really special. Bengals-Ravens. This could be another slaughter. I mean, the Giants-Vikings might be the only good game on Sunday. Bengals-Ravens. Lamar's looking doubtful right now. Tyler Huntley's even questionable. You can get it for eight and a half. You taking the Bengals? I am. Uh, and I think that they are the best team people don't talk about as the best team yeah. right now. Um, and I'm guilty as anybody of looking at them at the start of the year and saying, what the heck is this? You know, and wondering whether they they were even going to get closer back to what they were a season ago. But uh, they, I don't want to play them if I'm anyone right now. And as much as Roquan Smith has really helped that Ravens defense and you know, that Ravens football, man, they're not going to make it easy on you, but their offense is such a joke right now without Lamar Jackson. Um, I just don't think they're going to be able to hang and I'll take the Bengals covering. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I don't think the Ravens have the ability to score points right now. So even if they hold Cincy to 24, what's it going to be? 24 to 24 to 10, 24 to six. It's going to, it's right. going to get ugly in the jungle. I'm with you. I'm with the Bengals on this one. Monday night football. This, this could be one of the better games of the entire slate. It could be I don't know about better. Maybe one of the ugliest, but one of the closest. <laughs> I Dallas, get you. Yeah, I, I knew you were going with that. Yeah. <laughs> Dallas, Tampa, Cowboys like the Chargers. Slight road favorites in the 4-5 seed game. Two and a half point favorites. Does Tom Brady retire Mike McCarthy? Do the Cowboys retire Tom Brady? How does this one go? <laughs> I mean, if, I, if, if the Cowboys win this game, I don't know the Cowboys. I mean, they... They are, this is exactly the spot where they always choke, where yeah. they always don't deliver, where they always, you know, think that they're going to win and they become front runners and they imagine themselves as the clear favorite and they fall. The Bucks are not a good team. They are a disappointing team. Their offense hasn't been good enough. Their defense has been surprisingly bad considering their personnel and the fact that that's what Todd Bowles does best. So nothing about me thinks the Bucs are good enough to go on any kind of run. I just think Dallas, Dak is going to turn the ball over a couple times. Dallas can win the game if they run the ball and they stick to the run and they don't put it all on the quarterback's shoulders. But if Bowles does anything well, he, cover, he disguises coverages, sends those blitzes. And I just think that the Cowboys are going to make enough mistakes. I do. I have talked to people around the league about the coaching carousel. They think that the losing coach of this game gets fired either way. So who knows whether that's, that is definitely going to happen, but Mike McCarthy could get fired or Todd Bowles could get fired. So we'll see where it goes. I'm going to take the Bucks. Taking the Bucks. Now you're taking them plus two and a half. You're taking a money line as well. I'm taking them money line as well. I'm taking them to win the game. All right. Well, Pat, five out of six, we agree on, man. I'm on the Chargers. You're on the Jaguars. Everywhere else, we're on the same page. I'm with you on this one. I think Tampa Bay is going to do it. I think, you know, veteran leadership being there before Tom Brady, seven and zero against Dallas. I really do like Dak Prescott. I, I truthfully do. I just think he's going to crumble. I, I think Monday night he's going to crumble. I think, you know, this Dallas team, Mike McCarthy's done. Dak's been turning the ball over. 
Yeah, we're on the same page, Tampa Bay in this one. But that's not really me praising Tampa Bay because, like you, I don't think they're a good team. They should have lost to the Rams, the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, they're they're not a good team, but no. I think they'll have what it takes to get it done in this one. Yeah, no, Brady's a genius for the choosing this division. I mean, you just you got to give it to him. Having played in the AFC East all those years, and now in this division in the South and the NFC, I mean, he really knows how to pick them. He really does. It's such a joke, man. Pat Leonard, thank you so much for joining the show. Why don't you plug your pod, Talking Ball, one last time before we wrap it up? Yeah, you got it, Joe. Thanks. Yeah, it's Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. We do it weekly. We talk all around the league, kind of with a Giants flair and flavor. Uh, but we talk spreads every week, do Pat's picks, where I go through usually my top three of the week. And then I send everybody to Instagram for the rest. But love the interaction, love the talk and the opportunity to have the podcast on the Believe Network, and love coming on here with you, Joe. So thank you very much. I appreciate it, man. Just like that, episode 93 is up. It's over. It's out of here. We'll see you next week. Big thanks to Pat Leonard. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.